Great to be with you. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Amen. Well then, if you have your Bible with you, if you might want to turn to begin with at least to the Psalms, and we, uh, I want to mention something at the outset from Psalm 74. I don't know if you're a little bit like me, but we were just listening to Pastor Victor earlier on talk about the amazing work that he's doing over there in the Middle East and has done for many, many years. And when I, as someone who is not at all as cognizant about those kind of things as he is, but when I just as an ordinary person watch the TV. I wonder if you're a bit similar when you see the advance of, for example, ISIS across the Middle East, northern Syria, where you think, why doesn't God do an Old Testament thing and send his angel armies in there and sort it out? Anybody else feel like that? You say, Lord, what you know, you are the Lord of hosts. Why don't you rise up and why don't you intervene? And there's so many times throughout the biblical history when people have felt like that. Um, And one of them is in the Psalms. It's the Psalm of Asaph. And if you look at verse 5, you know, I'm looking at the... The pictures of the crosses being ripped out of churches, uh, places being blown up, I'm unbelievable. But look at what's said here that was written probably 2,700 years ago. It says this, They behave like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved panellings with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground and defiled the dwelling of your name. They said in the heart, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. Verse 10, how long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Now that's the same impassioned plea. And when you read that away from the anachronistic language of the Old Testament, what does it mean to withdraw your hands from the folds of your garment? In our language, we'd be saying, God, why don't you take your hand out your pocket? I wouldn't talk to God like that, would you? But that's how the psalmist said. He said, Lord, take your hands out of your pocket. Take your right hand out and do something. Then in Isaiah's day, you get the same, similar feel. It says, oh Lord, awaken your arm. Has your arm gone to sleep? Awaken your arm. Make bare your arm. And that would be another way we would say, when I make bare my arm to do anything, I'm rolling my sleeves up. So God, roll your sleeves up, do something. Now, God sees the world in a kind of great panorama of overview of history. He sees the centuries, yesterday, today and tomorrow as if they're one day. And yet we live in time and space. We see the macro. We just see what we're going through without ever seeing in our life what God is doing and crafting in our life over time. And God is to say to Isaiah, look, in in Isaiah 51, you're telling me to wake up. He said, actually, I'm quite in control of what's going on. It may not look like that, but I'm actually in control of my world. And it will come together and I will sort it out. And what will happen is justice and vengeance will take place. But the key to change, the key is not just saying God sort the world out. It's God saying, why don't you people of God, why don't you wake up? Why don't you church wake up? Why don't you take your hands out of your pockets? Why don't you raise, um, make bare your arm? And so now we're going to be in Isaiah 52. And if you've got Isaiah 52, this is what God says. To be awakened. Now what God is not doing, he is not, he is not saying it in a kind of condemnatory way. 
He's not selling, you know, you are terrible people. He's saying, I have stuff that's there for you, for my church. If only you could open your eyes and get awake to what I'm about to do. So let's look at two verses. Awake, awake, O Zion. Awake, awake, O people of God. And you know, when Pastor Bruce talks about later on in this great series he's going to do on the church in Israel, you'll see the parallels between people of God in, in those days and today and the plan that still God has for Israel. But when we read Zion there, we're really saying the people of God, my chosen position. If you know Jesus as your saviour today, you never actually chose him. Do you know he chose you first? Did you know that? And God has chosen us before. You know, when I can remember the first time I ever saw my wife, Marilyn. I was a young, very young pastor in my early 20s. I was in Cardiff City Temple, a big church in Wales. And I saw her walking. That's the first time I ever saw her. I've got to say, when she saw me, I was not overweight and bald at the time. And, uh, and so there was an attraction of two young people. And then you get to know one another and as time goes by, although she's still the same lovely woman she was in those days, um, I have grown a bit different with the passing of time. So what happens, we're attracted initially and we get older. Isn't it amazing? We are the bride of Christ and God chooses us when we are unlovely and he makes us lovely. Hey, what about that? He chooses us when we were still in our sin. He chooses us when there's nothing to recommend us. He, he, he chooses us when we're just caught with, um, you know, uh, in, in a state where we should be punished and we're deserving of his, uh, of his judgment. And then he takes hold of us and he fashions us so that now when he returns, he will actually come for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. And so God is looking upon his chosen ones, the ones you and I, he's chosen when we were unlovely and he's doing a work of grace in us. And he said, I've got so much more for your life, for your family, if you could only waken up to it. A couple of days ago, I was in Scotland with our churches there and I flew home and it was just a simple, we're only in the air about 50 minutes. It's a very simple flight from Birmingham. But sometimes, perhaps like you, I've been on, going on holiday or you're on business and you're just thinking 10 minutes to land and we get this voice saying, sorry, we can't land yet. We're holding a holding pattern. And you find yourself going round in circle. Anybody ever had that experience? You're going round in circles when all you want to do is something in heaven needs to land. Something on earth is waiting for the passengers to come from heaven and you want it sorted. But something on the runway, maybe congestion in airspace, it may be a problem on the runway that needs to be de-iced or something. What happens is you are held in a holding pattern. Here's a question this morning, Katie. I wonder what it is over your life, your family, that God in heaven is waiting to land in your life in these next few months that's in a holding pattern that if we can somehow, somehow synchronise who we are and what God requires of us to such a place that the landing strip is clear and God's best blessings can be ours. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so God says there are some criteria in these verses. If you want to be alert to what I want to do, and there are various stages of alertness in the Bible. It's not just asleep. In fact, I want to tell you, these people were so asleep. Do you know, I'm a bit of a, when I was a young person, when I was a young man, you know, as a student or something, you know, it was a struggle in the morning. I could stay awake all night, half night, but in the morning it was a struggle. Now I'm a bit older, it's, I'm a morning person, and, uh, and, and that's the way it is. So I, have, I don't oversleep too much. But I'm sure I've oversleeped in the past. Look at this verse. Have you ever overslept so long that you've gathered dust? 
The Bible says, look what it says, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem, free yourself from the chains on your neck. You see, there are various shades and stages of alertness. As I said, the first one is total asleep, passed out for ages, these people were, because they'd gathered dust in the process. In other, in other situations, it's not quite the same. In the story of the Mount of the Transfiguration, where Jesus is there and Moses and Elijah appear and his garments become whiter than any white anybody's ever seen, it says these incredible words. When they were fully awake... They saw his glory. Now they were awake, they were standing there, but they weren't fully awake. Do you know I want to pray a prayer of revelation? Sometimes it happens more and more when I preach these days. I won't get to the end of the message before I you know, say, let's pray together. Um, sometimes it, I feel more and more I need to just stop where I am. Because if I don't stop where I am, what happens is we miss something that won't take us to the next place. So I want us just to bow our heads, or you don't have to bow your head, but you want to close your eyes anyway. And, and I'm just going to pray over the house now. I want you to receive. You know, we Pentecostals, we're great transmitters. We transmit in praise. We transmit in testimony. We transmit in our witness. But sometimes we're not the most brilliant people for receiving, saying we're not taught. Every time we pause, we have to speak in tongues or start thanking God for something or asking God. I want us to go into, are you ready for this receiving mode? Every man and woman, whether you feel you're the most spiritual person in the church this, this afternoon or whether you think you're the least deserving, I want you to go into receiving mode because God's got something in a holding pattern for you now. Not at the end of the meeting, right now. And Father, I'm praying over this house right now, over every woman, over every man, over people who've been saved for many years and those who've only been Christians for weeks. Father, will you alert us to your glory? Will you make us aware, Father, we wouldn't want to be on a Mount of Transfiguration moment with the glory of God around us and not be aware of what you've got for our life. I pray, Father, in these next 15 to 30 minutes that we're going to be sharing the Word of God together. Father, will you quicken our spirit to see something in the realm of the Spirit that we had not seen before? Father, you know the pressures we've got on our life. Some of us have got financial pressures. Some of us have got illness issues. Some of us, Lord, have got relationship hassles that are going on. Things which create a dissonance. They create a static in the airways that we can't hear because of the natural things. I feel a prophetic word over my spirit, friends, as I'm speaking now. You know, while you're in attitude of prayer, I'm old enough to remember the old radios that had light program and home service. And if you got in one program, then there was it's clear. If you turn your dial to another one, it was clear. But if you got the needle between the two, you got a little bit of both programs, but a lot of noise and static. Do you know, I'm just feeling in the spirit that some of us here, we've got a massive heart for God. You've got a huge heart for God. And you're hearing bits of what God might be saying over your life. But there's so much static because of the issues and the problems that you're having to juggle. And they're not just your problems. Mothers are caring for kids that are away from God. Fathers are concerned about bringing money in and, and just making the ends meet. And yet there's so many noises around. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. 
Will you cut aside some of that static and so that we can hear the voice of God for our life? We want to be awake to your glory. Father, open our eyes, we pray. Father, I just think of the woman who, Hagar, who was cast out of Abram's house and with a boy and she had no means of dependence and she was, she was suffering and there was no water. And Father, you opened her eyes to see a well. Father, that well, it, was a well, it wasn't a tub of water that had dropped out of heaven. It had been there all the time. It was a well, but she didn't realise it. Father, I pray right now, will you reveal to us wells in our lives? Father, we call forth the waters. Father, we say to the well, spring up a well within my soul. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you say amen? Will you say amen? Father, we're praying that now. Open our eyes to that revelation of your blessing. Let's look at some of these things. God says you can clear the runway now. These are the things that will make us alert. These, not just, Father, I pray this morning it will not be another Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon service, just another routine thing where we can say we've done church. But Father, in the name of Jesus, will you make us alert to what you've got for us? Do special stuff in our life today. Turn to someone and say, God's got special stuff for you today. Amen. And so God says, I want you to, he says, if you're going to be alert, you've got to rise up. Now, this, these were sleeping beds so long that they've gathered spiritual dust, if, if there's such a thing. Dust in the Bible is a picture so often of poverty, spiritually and financially. It's a picture of pain. For example, in the book of Job, and you know the story of Job, the word dust is mentioned more time in that short book than in any other book in the Bible. And God wants us to shake off some stuff and rise out of this bed or this chair or this pit that we, that we get ourselves into. You know, one of the worst pits that you'd ever find in the Bible is the one that Gideon got into. Now, spiritually, it was the psalmist one. You know, it's a great picture of salvation. He drew me out of a horrible pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song. Anybody got a new song this morning? He put a new song in my heart. He steadied me as, as I went along. It's a great picture of consolidation after salvation. It's a great picture. That lovely picture of steadies as I go along is a huge picture being brought out of a confining pit. And mums understand and dads understand this. Remember the moment, mums and dads in today, and your little toddler, your first child perhaps, is beginning to walk for the first time. And there she's playing, the little baby's playing at your feet, and uh, there's a chair, and all of a sudden, it's decided it's going to make its first steps, and you think, wow, that's amazing. And so your mum turns to dad and says, hey, look, I think it's going to be today. This is the moment it walks on, the, our baby walks on its own. And as you're walking, you're conscious not just of a trial to walk, you're aware of a glass coffee table here. And the problem is, as they're walking past the table, the baby may stumble, are you with me, and fall its head on it. And you think, I've got to risk mum and dad, what are we going to do? Because if I stop it moving, I'm stopping its progress. If I let it go on, there's a risk it might hurt itself. So do you know what you do? This is what you do. Even though the child is not, the baby's not even thinking of you, it's just thinking of its first goal. It's going, it doesn't know that you're standing behind it and you're going like this, aren't you? Hey? You're standing and you say, if he don't fall, you never knew I was there in the background. 
But if you stumble, I've got you, and that coffee table's not going to break your face. Right? And so what it happens, you go in there, you go in there, and it stumbles, but no, you don't stop it because you catch it in time, and you're hovering like this, and then it makes it. And the little child... What an incredible first steps. You're all up in the air saying, this is awesome, congratulations. And they think, wow, I did it all on my own. (laughs) Well, you did, but I was hovering. Do you know the stuff in our lives sometimes when God sees us and he sees the dangers we don't see, he sees the coffee table, he knows we could get hurt, and we say, well, we made it. Listen, none of us made it without Jesus, eh? He was hovering over us all the time. You know what the Bible says? The steps of a good man and woman, the steps of a good man and woman are ordered by the Lord and he delights in your way. Though you fall and stumble, you will not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds you with his hand. What a great God we serve. Come on, let's give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Yes, he's hovering. He's hovering. He's hovering over us. And, 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 but, so when you and I begin to take that first step, you see, in Gideon's state, it was a terrible time. The people were living in caves. The enemies had destroyed their crops. They destroyed their houses. They were living in trees, the Bible says, and holes in the ground and caves. And so where can I go where the enemy won't get my harvest? Well, they won't look for us. He'll never look for us, will he, in a hole in the ground uh, where they make wine because wine's never anything that's in this in this country we can't afford bread we can't afford bread and so he's there in a pit and an angel comes from heaven not unusual but then there's a thing for angels which is very unusual having come from heaven he sits down on the floor by the pit now you need to hear this morning friends and I need to hear this morning that God doesn't just whisper great platitudes from heaven into my life today he comes to sit right where I am He's not just hovering over me, he's making himself identifiable with where I am. And so therefore the angel, and he says, the angel knows, the angel knows that there's going to be the the shrines of the Asheroth are going to be pulled down. He knows there are going to be battles that are going to be won. That this man whose name means mighty warrior, but is a frightened mouse spiritually, is going to do great things. But all he, listen to this, child of God, listen to this. God does not ask us to move from our weakness to a place of huge strength in one leap. He says, you've got the strength to do one thing today, Gideon, and that's to get out of the pit. That's all I'm asking you to do. Get a strength to get out of that box, that pit that's confining you, and go in the strength that you've got. Wow, isn't that awesome? God's not putting a big burden on you and I today when he tells us to wake up to his promise. He says, if you've got faith for a huge leap, that's awesome. But if you've got faith for a small step, that's awesome too. God doesn't put you down and doesn't put me down when I can only make small steps. When the man was healed at the gate, beautiful, the Bible says this, he went walking, leaping and praising God. Now we Pentecostals, we love the leaps, don't we? We love the testimony, I was here, bang, I was there. But you know, most of my life is not bang, I was there. It's walking in faithful, short, incremental steps, being obedient to God, isn't that right? And if you feel you're only making the steps and going in the strength that you have, God is still on your case and God is still smiling from heaven. Friends, we want to get the picture of a scowling God over your life away from us today. He loves you. He loves me. He wants you and I. You want your children, parents, to succeed. And I tell you, if you want your kids to succeed, God wants 
wants us to succeed today. He wants us to succeed in Jesus' name. You see, that's what pits and boxes do. They confine us. You know, when a baby's born, what happens is it's, it's born, they slap the child just to make sure his lungs are working, and then they put it in a cot. That's its first box. And then when you take it home, it begins to sort of dismantle the house and ruin all the ornaments when it's walking. So they put it in a playpen, that's another box. And then they go and it goes, grows up and it goes to school, they put it in a classroom, that's another box, isn't it? And then he goes to work and they put him in an office, and that's another box. And then they buy their own flat or house, and that's another box. And then he dies, when, where do they put him? In a box. There's, there's got, come on, there's, there's got to be a place, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever have said that, but there's got to be a place where we get out of the box, isn't that right? There's got to be a place where I rise up, because you know, we used to have a cat one time, and you put... Marilyn will come in, we, we give the thing decent food, we look after the cat, but if she comes in from Tesco or Asda, she just puts a carrier bag there and it goes inside it. Get, put a cardboard box and it goes inside it. Cats love to be confined, they're secure. You can get too secure in the church box. You know, this is a great church, but at the end of the day, it's a box. And God wants us to break out of the box, not leave the church, Pastor Colin, and not break out of it that much, but to see this is not me in the week. This is not me in the week. Who I am in Christ is bigger than the place I worship. I need the place I worship. This is a well for me. This is my roots. Yeah, and I want to say to you, friends, there's so many options around London particularly. You can say we can, we can chase the blessing from A to B if you want. But, you know, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. If you have an apple tree in your garden and you uproot it every month and put it in a different part of the garden, you will not need a very big bag to put the fruit in at the end of the season. There is something to getting rooted in the house of God. And so there is a place that I need to be rooted, but that should not be a place of confinement for me. I should not be confined by that. God has created us for great things. God has created us for our own defining moments. Thank God for 100 years of Elim's history. Elim's just part, and of course, I've, you've heard earlier, I mean, I've been brought up in the movement and since I was a child and led it for a few years, as Pastor has said. But at the end of the day, we're part of that great big picture of the Church of Jesus Christ, of all those who were born again of the Spirit of God. But I want to say, friends, God has created us for our own defining moments. We only know them if we're fully awake. We only know them if, and I'm still praying over the house now as I'm, I'm preaching and praying at the same time. Lord, open our eyes. Are you still praying it for you now? I want to be fully alert. I want to be fully awake. Yeah, I want to imagine a situation where if you could have uh, camels that could talk to one another. Can you imagine that? Baby camel talking to mother camel and baby camel says, Mommy, why is it that we've got these big fat feet and, and, and cows have got little feet? Well, God has created us to travel great distances. And if we were cows, then because we go over sand, the little pointy feet would go in the, we'd just get bogged down. Oh, I see. Well, why, mum, why have we got these long eyelashes? Because these long eyelashes, uh, you know, cows don't have them like that. Well, you see, God has created us for great distances. And when we're going to cross the sand on these flat feet, there are sandstorms. Cows would be blinded, but we're not because we've got eyelashes. God has created us for great distances. Well, why have we got this big hump on our back? Why have we got the big hump on our back? Well, God has created us for great distances and cows would dehydrate very quickly, but this retains a lot of moisture. 
because God has created us for great distances. Have you got any more questions? Just one. What are we doing here in London Zoo? <laughs> and you know, when I hear the promises of God, I feel a little bit like the camel in the zoo. Because I hear I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I hear that nothing's impossible with God. I hear that God's a great God of miracles, but I don't always see great miracles in my life. And I don't always see the miraculous taking place around me. And I say, oh, I believe these things are true. I believe God has created me for great distances. But why am I confined if that's the case? And if you want to move away from the imagery of the, of the camel and say it was a lion and you put the lion in the cage and the lion looks through the bars right out into a, into a huge landscape that it's been made for, never made to be put in a cage, never made to be put in a cage. And it moves towards it. That's my destiny. But then it hits these bars and it stops. And some of the bars in our spiritual boxes are man-made. We've made them ourselves. We can't believe that God could use us. I do meet proud Christians. I've met them. Um, I met probably met a few over the years. But compared to the, listen, compared to the number of believers, and there will be in here today, not a word of knowledge, just on the law of statistical probability, and a crowd like this, I meet more and more people. They don't exalt themselves above use, usefulness because that's what pride does. Do you know? Listen, I tell you what pride does. If we're full of ourselves, we've no room to be full of the Spirit. That's why when we feel empty and vulnerable and we feel useless sometimes, God says, that's a great space for me to put my spirit. Amen. Amen. See, I do meet some proud people, but most of them, I, they, they denigrate themselves beyond usefulness. The kind of Moses prayer, when God, even at the age of 80, wanted him to lead two million people out of slavery. I'm no use, I'm not eloquent. My brother's a better speaker than me. He's actually putting his own bars in his cage. Sometimes other people put the bars there. Parents who say, your brother really excelled. Your sister went to university. You don't seem to have done anything with your life. Uh, and they just send out this message that you're lesser than because you haven't achieved. And so they've put the bars in your cage. Sometimes the enemy, who is the accuser of the brethren, puts the bars in the cage. I want to tell you, friends, God wants us to be alert today. He has created every one of us for great defining moments. And we will not live in the devil's box. Amen. 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 We will not live. Yeah, give the Lord a mighty hand of praise if you would. So God says, I want, I want you not just to awake, I, I, I want you also to shake off your dust uh, because it's been so long. I want you to rise up out of that box. I want you to sit enthroned and realise that you're not struggling to be somebody. The whole world is trying to struggle to be somebody. If I can make more money, then people will think I, I am somebody. If I've got a bigger house, they'll know I I'm somebody. If I've got a bigger car, then therefore I am somebody. Listen, when we got saved, when we came into the family of God, we became all that God wanted us to be right there and then. God says, sit in the enthronement I've already given you. If you're a woman, you're already a princess. If you're a son, you're already a prince. God says, recognize. The, be, if you've got to be seated in anything, don't be seated in a box. Be seated in your authority. And then I want finally to come to, the, the, to a part of the verse. It's right there at the very beginning of the whole of the verse. Awake, 
shake off your dust, we've seen, you know, rise up from the box, sit enthroned in who you are, free yourself from things that hold you back. And then it says, clothe yourself with strength. Clothe yourself with strength. Now in the Old Testament, strength came upon people and left them. For example, Samson, that great, you know, that great physically strong guy, uh, he was not just physically strong. You can't, through physical strength alone, you know, kill a thousand people with a jawbone of an ass. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him, but then it came and it went. Saul, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied, but then he got back to just being ordinary again. But listen, I want to say, friends, even though it came and went throughout the Old Testament, Jesus, after his resurrection, after his resurrection, he says at the ascension, wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power. Someone say clothed with power. <laughs> clothed. And, and just before then, two weeks before then, he said, you're going to get a power that's going to come upon you. But it's not going to be an Old Testament type of power. Because the Old Testament type of power came and went. And so Elijah's mantle, well, last time I was preaching in KT, I, I preached on Elijah's mantle falling on Elisha. It's not just something that comes and then, you know, is gone. What happens is the Bible says, Jesus says, I'm going to go, but the comfort of the Holy Spirit's going to come and he will be with you for always. Wow. So it's not something that comes and goes. Now what happens when I'm saved, I be received the Holy Spirit. I receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. Your body is a vessel. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we've got to watch how we live because, and the relationships we get into because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there comes a later time in the second move of the Spirit of God upon us when we're filled with the Spirit and you need just to be saved to be receive the Holy Spirit. But then uh, you're baptised in the Holy Spirit, which is a second work of grace of God upon our life. And at that point, you may get a new power for witness and begin to speak in tongues and so forth. But once the Holy Spirit is within you, the Bible says He will never leave you. He will never leave you. You see, one of the words that we love in Pentecostal churches is the word anointing. We love that word, don't we? We talk about, you know, um, the preacher this morning, I need something from God. Lord, will you send an anointing from heaven and give, in my case, John Glass an anointing? That means if I get anointing, you get blessed and that's an anointing that I need from heaven. Problem with that. In fact, there's a major problem with some of us, our view of the anointing. For example, I'm going to ask you a question. No, I ask you to raise your hand. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But given the fact that we Pentecostals are talking about the anointing all the time, how many times do you think the word anointing is in the New Testament? A hundred times, perhaps. No. Fifty times, perhaps. No. Twenty times, perhaps. Surely twenty times, because we talk about it all the time. No. It's got to be five times. No. One time. One time. And do you know what it says? It says the anointing abides on you. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, and especially when you went on to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that what God gave you abides on you. First epistle of John, it abides on you. You carry it. So I don't no longer say, God, will you bring the anointing on me so that I can be a, half a bit of use? I will say, I still need the anointing. I pray almost every day for the anointing. 
But I don't pray for the anointing to come from up there down here. Listen, I believe the anointing which is in me needs to bubble up from within my spirit. And that which is already there, say it with me, already there. Already there, sister. Already there. Bubbles up. He said, I'm going to take you to the last verse we're going to look at in Genesis 26, 18. Are you with me this morning? In Genesis 26, 18, it says quite a remarkable thing. It says, Isaac dug again the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up. Now we can just turn water on, of course, at the tap. They needed wells in Bible days and, and still parts of the world need it today. In fact, the word Elam uh, comes from our founders saying that what the church, what the world wanted was not another denomination. It wanted, uh, to, it wanted an oasis in cities all over the nation because the world's a hard, dry and arid place and we need places of shelter and refreshing. And so the whole idea of, um, of Elam movement is that of a, an oasis and a well. But what happens is this, let's just park that thought for a moment and say, when people fought battles, there was a problem. It always has been when everybody fight battles. If I've got 10,000 people fighting 10,000 here and this side win, but there's a thousand casualties on the winning side, I may be on the winning side, but that's a thousand widows. And it's many orphans. And it's not much fun for a widow to be told, incidentally, we won the battle when the husband died. So they worked out ways in which people could fight without having so many casualties. One is like in the story of David and Goliath. Let's get one from each side and then whoever wins, that side serves the other. That's only one casualty. But the thing that was most used was this. The enemy would go in, he would stop up the wells and cut off the food supplies. That means you could defeat an entire army without one arrow being shot to begin with. And that's what they tried to do. The enemy of the people of God had stopped up the wells. Now, I want you to be, I want you to be with me now as we come to the final few moments of this message when I'm, go, I'm just going to, we're going to pray a prayer for, that perhaps we haven't prayed for, you may not have prayed for a while, that's going to make a major difference in your spiritual life. Particularly if today, John, you say, Pastor John, I feel mediocre, I feel so ordinary. I don't feel I've ever carried much of an anointing, even since I was saved. And yet your Bible tells me that it abides on me. I don't know where it is. Hey, am I talking to anybody? Am I talking to any honest people here? Or do you all float three feet off the ground every day? Right? Now, I want you to imagine that you're walking. Let's imagine that I'm in this story. Who will I be in this story? I will be Isaac. And... And uh, I can see a well over there. That's the well, that keyboard well. And uh, you're with me. And I say, hey, we're really thirsty. But look, there's a well there. That well was dug by my father. Oh, come on. And you're a bit fitter than me. And you get there first. And you look and you see all this rubble in the well. And I say, is there any water there? And you say, no. Now, in a sense, you're right. Because there's no water that's accessible to do anything about my thirst. But listen, all wells have the same water in it, whether there is rubble in it or not. The issue is not is there water, is, but can the water get through? Now if the anointing abides on you, 
And there are no grades and octanes of the Holy Spirit. There's grades of petrol. You know, what you put in a, what you put in a, a, a lawnmower, you won't put in your car. And what you put in a car, you wouldn't put in a plane. It's different octanes. But there's no octanes of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11, if the same Spirit, same Spirit, same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. It will make alive your mortal body. And so, therefore, within us, there is this well. Listen, the enemy had put rubble in a working well that had water, not to take the water out of it, but to stop the water getting through. Because if I can get the rubble out of the well the enemy put in there, if I get the rubble out, every bit of rubble means percolating to the surface is fresh water. And I get excited and I say, hey, we said there was no water and there is. Because as we're taking the rubble out, what's happening, it's getting through. And we begin to sing. We begin to be praise God. God, we, we are thirsty. We're hungry. And it's coming through. It's coming through. It's coming through. Here's a question. I'm closing with this question. I'm closing with this question. It won't apply to everybody. It will apply to some people and it will not apply to others. You see, there's some rubble we can put in our own well. When the prodigal left his father's house, saying, I'd rather have your money than have your presence. I can't wait for you to die to get your money. Give your money now. What a thing to say. You don't preach that on Father's Day, do you? I'd rather have your presence than your presence. Church, we've got to be careful that we don't get like that. We want the blessing. We stop praying when we've asked for what we want from Father. We don't want to spend time with him. But when he went into a foreign country and ended up in a pig pen, all the rubble in his life was his own fault. Do you know, and if you've got rubble in your life, that's your fault. We've all had rubble. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we've got rubble in our life that we need to deal with and we've never become a Christian, this is a good day to allow Jesus to take that rubble away. Amen. <laughs> this is a good day. You know, we can leave that burden at the cross and he will deal with it. Deals with yesterday, today and tomorrow. Yesterday he forgives us sin. Today he comes into our life with the power of the Holy Spirit. And for tomorrow he opens up a way of destiny. And if you've not accepted Christ as your saviour, then I want to tell you there's nothing in the world that's more important that you could do. It's better than a job or a relationship. Those will only last for this, for this life. The decision for take your burdens, that rubble of sin to Christ will affect you for eternity. But I'm talking to Christians for a moment now, if I may. And this is not about your sin. This is not about something you've done wrong. This is about stuff that's been done to you by other people who've let you down, who've badmouthed you when you didn't deserve it, who criticised you unfairly, who've broken confidences that they should have kept, who have wounded you, perhaps even abused you in some way. And that well could have been begun to be stopped up weeks ago. It could have had rubble it for years and years and years. And you feel you're a dry person. You're a dry well. I'm talking to Christians. It may even people who make a judgment over you and say, there's not much going on in her life. I, if I ever have a need, I don't think I'd go there. She's got enough problems. He's got enough problems of his own. You know what the word of God is this morning? Somebody may have put rubble in the well, but that's not the end of the story. Somebody may have put rubble in the well, but the spring of fresh water is still there.
And if by the Holy Spirit we do some business with God at the end of this meeting, to do something about the stuff that's been dumped on us. Anybody ever feel like a builder skip? Somebody's just dumped their rubbish on you. They just dumped your rubbish on your life. How do I deal with it? How, what's the practical application? Well, if somebody's, it's hard, and believe me, friends, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But you see, rubble and rubbish is hard stuff. It's hard. Only forgiveness can dissolve some of those boulders and make them ineffective. He said, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, none of us deserve forgiveness, do we? Do you know what happens? When we examine what's been dumped in our life, when we let it go in our spirit, when we exercise forgiveness, when we go that way, that which was a barrier just disintegrates. And do you know what happens? Every space that's created by rubbish that's been neutralised is a space for the water that's there of the spirit to rise and fill. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes a moment if we may. The musicians, I don't know if you, I don't know if we close with a song or not, do we? If the musicians want to come to the platform, that's fine because we're doing business with God now. And you say, John, you don't know me. You're a visiting speaker today. You're not one of our pastors. You're, you know, you're here today. And, and you don't know my story. But if you did know my story, you could be speaking right down to me. Because I've tried to sort things out with God and I've tried to live a good life before the Lord. And I'm not perfect. But you know, I feel like a dry well and I'm willing to believe today. It's not because there's no water there. It's, because, it's not because the Spirit of God's there. It's people have dumped so much stuff over my life. It can't get through. But I want to do business with God today. And if that's where you are and you recognise that this word is for you, will you raise your hand right now where you are, right over the place? God bless you. I see you all over. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you at the back. I'm looking up into the gallery. Do you have anybody here in the back there? I see, yes, I see you all there. One or two up there as well, okay. Right, what we're going to do now, what we're going to do now, we're going to deal with that. And do you know what, friends? The Bible says that we should sing to the well. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says these words, sing this song, spring up, O well, within my soul. Now, why would I need to sing to the well? It is because the water is below the surface of all that rubbish, but I'm not having that rubbish anymore. I'm not retaining that pain anymore. I'm not going to hold on to that unforgiveness anymore. And I'm going to say, in the name of Jesus, I will not allow you to clog up my spiritual future. And do you know what will happen? Two things happen. Number one, the well gets refreshed. Do you know what God wants to do today? He wants us to go out this morning with a spiritual detox. Isn't that awesome? Some of the rubbish we get in our spirit. He wants us to get detoxed with that. He wants us to get detoxed of that. He wants us to get detoxed of that. Just try and keep your focus just on what God is doing in your life now for a moment. Can every single one of us stand? Not just the ones who raise their hand. Not just the ones who raise. Let's everybody stand. Everybody stand as we close. And we're going to be, well, I don't know the song we're going to sing as we go out. But before we actually sing some song that someone else has wonderfully composed some years ago or weeks ago, I want us to sing our own song. And I want us to speak to that Spirit of God that is within our life. And I want us to sing to that well. And I want us to say to the well within your spirit right now, if you know Jesus this morning, I want you to sing. I want you to say these words. Let's say it together. Spring, don't, not yet. Wait till I just should give you the hand up. This is what we're going to say. Spring up a well within my soul. Ready? Spring up a well 
Now I want you to say that to your own will right now. Come on, speak in tongues, speak in English. Father, we call the well to come forth. Father, through all the rubbish, through all the difficulties, through all the unkindness, through all the stuff that's been dumped in our life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give free course to the Spirit of God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we forgive where we need to forgive. We let go what we need to let go of. We want to be, we want to see a bubbling resource to do us, God. But Father, we want to be a people who refresh others. Spring up a well within our soul. Speak to your well. Speak to your well. Speak to your well. Spring up, oh well. I don't want to live in mediocrity, Lord. I don't want to live in the ordinary. I don't want to live in the superficial. Just, Lord, I don't want to live in the mundane. Father, I want defining moments in my life. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that anything that God's got for me that's held in a holding pattern will land into my life, my family, my situation right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand of praise and believe that for our life in Jesus' name.